Welcome to the second episode of the Unity Gains podcast, coming to you from UAW Local 160 out of Warren, Michigan. We're your hosts, Jesse Kelly and Sean Crawford. Today's episode will be on the EV transition and its impact on auto workers. We're at the beginning of a massive change in our industry. Internal combustion engines will soon be relics of the past. For better or worse, technological upheaval is a central feature of our economic system. Take communications, for example. We've gone from telephone switchboards to landlines to having computers in our pockets, all within a span of 70 years. This transformation is unavoidable, but its negative impact on us is not. That is up to us and what we're willing to fight for, both at the bargaining table and at the ballot box. Regardless of your feelings about EV, they are going to be a huge part of our industry. So if we're going to have a voice in this transition, we must get ready and stay educated. According to the Economic Policy Institute, electrification will result in a net loss of 75,000 auto jobs by 2030. Even though some new jobs will be created, will this be enough to offset the losses? Also, the quality of these jobs isn't yet decided. We need to ask the question of not only will we have these jobs, but will these be good-paying, family-sustaining union jobs at our current standard of living? We must address the rapid changes in technology and the transition into EV in negotiations this fall. This transition will only be as just as we demand it to be. Let's hear what the UAW GM Vice President Mike Booth had to say at the UAW's recent town hall. These plants didn't close because there wasn't a need for product or work. Over and over, they close a plant in the U.S., move the work out of the country. They increase profits by exploiting more vulnerable workers overseas and pit us against one another in the, that race to the bottom. The big three are now doubling down on the divide and conquer strategy by attempting to introduce a whole new tier in the electric vehicle production. The auto industry is on the verge of going through a revolutionary shift to electric vehicles. The federal government is pouring hundreds of billions, and yes, that's a B, billions in taxpayer dollars to the electric vehicle transition. The result is an explosion of battery plants being built around the country. As you can see on the map, there are dozens of plants being built from the Great Lakes down to the Gulf of Mexico. To be clear, I and the UAW leadership support this transition, but it must be a just transition. That means workers aren't left behind, the transition must do right by our members, our families, and communities. Take the example of Altium. Altium is a joint venture between GM and other suppliers that make electric vehicle batteries. In Lordstown, Ohio, Altium is currently hiring employees at $16.50 an hour with a seven-year progression to $20 an hour. Meanwhile, the company is receiving billions in government subsidies. This is not a just transition, and this is not an acceptable standard to set. A just transition has to include standards for these jobs. These must not only be union jobs, but they must be jobs that maintain the wages, benefits, and health and safety standards that generation of UAW members have fought for. We must also make sure that any of the workers who lose their jobs as a result of the shift to the electric vehicles have a place to land. That means a right to the jobs that are being created and a right to the proper training. As if the current system of tiered pay and benefits isn't bad enough, in an attempt to amass more profits and divide us even further, the big three are trying to establish an entirely new tier of EV worker, all while accepting massive taxpayer loans and subsidies to fund this transition. 
We've had enough with the company's divide-and-conquer tactics. Every worker deserves to work and retire in dignity, just as previous generations did. These jobs represent the future of our industry, our future. Therefore, these jobs should be brought under our national master agreements. Not only have we funded this transition through our labor as workers, but also through our taxes as citizens. We need a guarantee that as we move into these new jobs, our quality of life and security of employment will be preserved. After all, as we face these job reductions, we're going to need somewhere to transfer to. It's not fair after the sacrifices we've made to expect us to uproot our families and take a pay cut. The companies always talk about the need for us to sacrifice and take concessions to keep our jobs and secure investments. But this is extortion, pure and simple. Over and over again, these companies put us, our families, and our entire communities under distress to squeeze every last penny. Why should we be expected to sacrifice the best years of our lives for an ever-decreasing standard of living? Once this time is gone, we can never get it back. Corporations are always trying to depress our wages for profit, despite the fact that labor accounts for less than 5% of the cost of the vehicle. Yet there is hardly any talk about the outlandish CEO compensation. How many auto worker families could have been supported off of a single Big 3 CEO salary? Let's take GM for example. With Barra's compensation totaling $29 million last year, almost 500 autoworker families could have been supported. A mountain of gold for a select few, while many of those who break their bodies can scarcely support their families. This level of disproportionate compensation is offensive to the sacrifices workers made to bail out GM during the bankruptcy. To get a better idea of just how wealthy our labor has made the big three, let's hear what UAW President Sean Fain had to say at the most recent town hall. So we know what the companies are going to say when we go into bargaining. They're going to say the same things that employers always say. They're going to say our demands are unrealistic. They're going to say that they're worried about the rising interest rates in a looming recession. They're going to say they can't afford our demands because the transformation towards an electric future requires massive investments. To that, we say, we took concessions in hard times. Our families and our members made sacrifices to save these companies. Business has been, been booming for the last decade, and these companies have made record profits. And this is our time to get our fair share of the pie. This is a chart of the profits in North America, and it's eye-popping. These are global companies, but the vast majority of their profits still come from the North American market. Take a look. Stellantis made over $14 billion in profits last year. GM made over $13 billion in profits. Ford made over $9 billion. Collectively, the big three have made just under a quarter of a trillion dollars in profits in North America between 2013 and 2022. Let me say that again. The big three collectively made just under a quarter of a trillion dollars between 2013 and 2022. That's trillion with a T as in time to pay up. It's trillion with a T as in time to end tears. A quarter of a trillion dollars to me is a mind-boggling amount of money. And here's one way to help you visualize it. The big three have collectively amassed so much money in North American profits over the last 10 years they could have brought every National Basketball Association team, every Major League Baseball team, and every National Hockey League team, and they still 
would have $50 billion left over. That's how much these companies have made in profits. Clearly, the big three have more than enough to make us whole. From the fossil fuel to the automotive industry, many working class communities will be impacted. We need a plan to ensure a just transition so we can support our families and maintain the lives that we've built. We're calling on our elected leaders to stand in solidarity with us to ensure our rights are respected and that our communities are made whole. The politicians are on notice. From now on, they have to work for our endorsement. They cannot just sit back and take us for granted anymore. Only those who are willing to fight with us in our time of need deserve our support. But what does a just transition look like? It means being clear-eyed and acknowledging that this change is coming and addressing it head-on. Because if we ignore or deny this change, then we will lose the ability to control it. First, we need to fight to make sure that all EV jobs are brought under our master agreement with Tier 1 wages and benefits, and that we have full transfer rights to these jobs. No more spinning off jobs to third parties, shell companies, and subsystems as an excuse to further drive down our wages and benefits. Secondly, it means establishing programs and policies that support us as we move into the jobs of the future. These programs should include training, income support, and maintaining our health care. Existing programs designed to help workers impacted by trade deals, such as the TRA, the Trade Readjustment Allowance, and the TAA, the Trade Adjustment Assistance, could be used as a template. Another way we could address this job loss is to adjust the standard of what it means to work full-time. How does making every weekend a three-day weekend sound to you? Starting overtime at 30 rather than 40 hours could be just the solution we need. Well, keep in mind that overall productivity has increased 64.6% since 1979, while median wages have only increased 17.3%. The difference between those two numbers went straight into the pockets of the opulent. Technological advancement too often benefits only the ruling class. We make more for them while they give an ever-shrinking amount to us. A truly just transition would mean our pay and hours would be commensurate with our productivity gains, meaning that as productivity goes up, our pay would go up accordingly. Or alternately, as productivity increases, our pay would stay the same, but our hours could be reduced. Now this is not a new concept. When it was first proposed by UAW leaders in the 1930s, it was called the 30 for 40 movement, meaning 30 hours worked for 40 hours pay. This way we could have both more time to enjoy life and more jobs for those displaced by the technological upheavals that reliably disrupt our livelihoods. Spreading work more equitably could eliminate unemployment and empower us all to live more fulfilling lives. It wasn't that long ago that 50 or 60 hour work weeks at straight time were the standard. People literally died fighting to establish the eight hour workday. Just take the Haymarket riot, for example. A 40 hour work week is completely arbitrary and will need to be changed as technology advances. People all over the world are demanding a shorter work week with no loss in pay. Consider the fact that without our knowledge and efforts, these vehicles would just be raw metal ore left in the ground. Literally nothing can happen without our labor. Even automation isn't possible without us. Who designs, builds, runs, and maintains these robots? The working class does. We create all wealth. Once we internalize this, these demands begin to seem modest. To quote the famous union leader, Bill Haywood, if the workers are organized, all they have to do is put their hands in their pockets and they've got the capitalist class whipped. 
For those interested in reading more on the 30 for 40 movement, I recommend checking out Jonathan Cutler's book, Labor's Time, Shorter Hours, the UAW, and the Struggle for American Unionism. It's particularly good in audiobook format for those long days on the line. All our sources are listed in the show notes. And if you'd like a reminder about our upcoming podcasts, please email us at unitygainspodcast at gmail.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening and solidarity forever. Thank you.